Welcome to another episode of Monday, Monday Afternoon Theologians. And now for nine seconds of apple juggling, just because. You never know. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> uh, yeah. It is good to practice stuff, though. You got to stay committed to it so you can be good at it at all times. So that's why I walk around going. Because you never know when that will come in handy. Right. And it's like you got to have a ready answer for anybody who asks the question, what is the sound of one hand clapping? So you can yeah. go. Yeah, that's something you've perfected over the years. Been practicing. <laughs> and that's why sometimes... My lovely wife, who's very faithful to me and very committed, just needs to step away into another room for a while. <laughs> uh, well, I guess you can take some solace in the fact that the University of Michigan lost their game to the eventual national champion. That's true. It shows that Georgia really was a tough team. They were committed. So we went up against a tough one. That's true. Yeah, they, they beat the number two and the number one, and now they're national champions. So, that's right. So it's good. Yeah. And we're proud of our coach, Harbaugh. He's a man of character, and he did a good job with them. So good on you, Mr. Harbaugh. No shame in making the playoffs. No, not <laughs> at all. It's a good thing that that's the case, because you know that pretty much meaning of life does come from local football. Well, Yeah. So you got your wife extricated from the ditch that her Jeep slid into from the last time we had met together, I think. Yes, we did. And the uh, evidence is still there in the snowbank, the ruts that go up to it and the impression of the front of the Jeep in the big pile of snow right there at the end. That, that's neat. You could take a picture of the impression like they're doing now with people that I've noticed on TikTok that my daughter showed me, where they're putting their faces down into snow and then coming back out again. And that's yep. a picture of their face right there. So you've got your that's Jeep right. face. <laughs> what do you call it, Jeep face? <laughs> hey, Jeep face. <laughs> for some reason, you're a little fuzzy today. I, I'm not sure. what. That's oh. easy for you to say, six eyes. Oh, oh, that's the problem. Okay. <laughs> don't, don't know if you've done that yet, but I started to do that this morning. I have my regular glasses, which I wear for walking and driving in real life. I have these glasses, my computer glasses, which are just for the right focal length so that I can see clearly on my computer. <laughs> and I was absentmindedly just thinking, oh, I need to put on my glasses. I started to reach for them. I went, oh, wait, yeah. I'm becoming that old guy. Yeah, senility creeps in upon us uh, when we least expect it. Mm -hmm. That's like the ones that the guys are going, I can't find my glasses anywhere. Yeah, yeah. So um, if you could uh, fill us in on what is it character-wise that we're supposed to be looking at today? Well, today is um, one of my favorites, and we'll see why as we go through here. And that is the segment of the fruit of the spirit that is known as faithfulness. Mm. And we might want to define that because there's a lot of other big words that go with it. 
that give us a better picture of what faithfulness actually is. Very good idea. Um, I looked up some synonyms, and that's one good way to define a word, because you can find a lot of other words that relate to that word to get a pretty good flavor for it. And I think these are good synonyms for faithfulness. Allegiance, fidelity, reliability, loyalty, commitment, and trustworthiness. Yeah, all of those are good words, and I think we've got a couple more that we'll look at as we get into it a little further. Mm-hmm. But it's, uh, it's good to know that a big segment of God's character is faithfulness. Mm-hmm. And we'll look at some scriptures as we get down a little further where we see exactly how that's demonstrated. Yeah. But aren't there some examples that you can see, maybe somebody from your experience, someone that you know, that you thought was particularly faithful? One name leaps immediately to mind when I think about somebody who's demonstrating those words that we just looked at and faithfulness. And that's my coffee buddy, Lou, short for Lewis. Lou is a retired pastor, as fit as a fiddle. In fact, I think for his 80th birthday, he was going to run another 5K just because he could. But things got locked down because of COVID, so that kept him from doing that. But he could have done it. But his wife, unfortunately, has been suffering from Alzheimer's. And it was fairly sudden onset, happened several years ago, and she lost her ability to communicate just a few years ago. But physically, she's fairly fit as well. So even though she just doesn't have cognitive abilities like she used to, she needs constant care. So Lou actually retired so that he could dedicate full-time his life to his wife. And I think it's incredible. And he's there all the time. And he is so faithful and committed. And you talk about fidelity. This guy is a textbook case of somebody that I think of when we think of somebody who's really faithful. Yeah, because that is a a difficult malady to deal with on both sides. Because if someone has starts to see that they're losing their capability, it can be so frustrating. It can Mm -hmm. be so heartbreaking. And then... The other person has to step in and do so much more than they ever thought they might have to. It's a difficult thing. How about you? I look back on on someone who I saw was so incredibly faithful was actually a pastor. Hmm. Pastor Mark, who was our pastor in Arizona before we moved up here to Colorado. And on the same weekend that we left, he also went on a new adventure and moved into a a new church in a place that probably would be considered the hinterlands for you, and that being Columbus, Ohio. But uh, I know what a terrible place that could be. He went right into the Viper's Den, uh, but he took on uh, a church that was actually significantly larger than the one he was pastoring in Arizona, which was a big church. I mean, we had probably close to 2,000 members and had a a 700-seat auditorium that we filled three times a week for the same service. So it was a, a, a big step for him, which he went on and pastored there faithfully. But he was one of the most dependable men of God that I have ever met. And not just because he was so prepared when he stepped into the pulpit, but he always had a strong word of personal encouragement. And most often, that word was directly from God's word. He had the ability to take God's word, which he had studied, studied all of his adult life, in fact, he was, he was the son of a pastor, and so he had a profession of faith not unlike yours, which came at a very early age. So he was surrounded by the Word from the time he was a very small child, and it was just part of him. 
And when someone needed a word, it was God's word that he gave them. And it was so strong and and yet so personal mm-hmm. because he was involved in the lives of the people of his church. I've been in a church where they've had a preaching pastor mm-hmm. and he wasn't involved with the people at all. Uh, his job was to preach and it was something he did really, really well. That was his gift. Mm-hmm. But in Mark's case, he was a people's pastor and wow. he preached the word, but he also lived it and provided it as a an ongoing part of his life as he dealt with the people of the church. He was just a, an amazing guy, probably still is. That's really cool. And it's a it's a real testament to the power of God's word in transforming lives for you to understand that that's why he is so personal and could make those encouraging words from the word so often because he was clearly steeped in the word. And that's really cool. That's encouraging. I think that's one of the marks of uh, a true believer is their faithfulness to God's word too, because we're constantly in it, surrounding ourselves by it, putting it in our brains so that we have more access to it when we need it. And it sounds like Mark definitely was that kind of a guy. Definitely that kind of a guy. So someone else in your life that that demonstrated faithfulness in a tangible way for you? Yeah, for me, and you hit on it briefly just now, that I was very blessed. I mean, really fortunate to have Christian parents, and they really lived it. They were examples to me and my sister. And I remember one time when I was young, we were being kept by being watched after in our own house by a couple of college girls over at Grand Canyon College back then. It's a university now. My mom knew them well because she was dean of women at the college for a while. And she knew that these were trustworthy, committed, faithful young ladies and that they would do a good job of caring for my sister and me. So they took us out for ice cream at our favorite place, Mary Coyle's Ice Cream. I remember Mary Coyle. Yes, people with their black bow ties serving you. It was pretty swank. We were going to head to home, and they were going to tuck me in bed, and everything is going to be fine for the night. But we got in a car accident, and it wasn't the girl's fault. The other car that was coming through the intersection had their lights off. Turns out, long story short, those people had been known for doing that scam before and then bilking the insurance companies of other people. So they had their lights off. They came through the intersection, made it look like the girls hit them. No, they didn't have their lights on and they ran the stop sign. So it was their fault. But anyway, we didn't go to the house. So we had to go to the girls' dorm. So I, this is embarrassing, but I have spent the night in a girls' dorm. (laughs) Even though I was quite young. Uh, I remember my sister and those two girls were walking into the hallway there and somebody shouted out and said, man in the hall. And I looked around behind me to see who was coming. And they said, no, that means you, silly. (laughs) (laughs) And I could smell fingernail polish and popcorn. And it was a very different world for me. And they tucked me in on a little pallet on the floor. And I fell asleep. But the next voice I heard, I thought I was dreaming. It was my father's voice. And he said, it's us. We're here. Are you okay? And I looked up. And my parents who had been in a conference in Tucson, got the word that we had been involved in a car accident. So they left the conference right in mid-session and drove for several hours to get to be where we were, even though it was late at night and they had to miss part of the conference because they were so concerned about us. So they were there for us. So as a young kid, that really embedded itself as a definition of faithfulness. It means showing up, being there for somebody. And I see that in Jesus and his life for his disciples. 
And for the people that he reached out to, it sounds like your pastor friend Mark was that for people. He was there for them and not just speaking from afar into their lives, but with them and really there for them in a committed, consistent manner. And my parents were definitely that for me. I'm very, very grateful for that. I see a little bit of a distinction because we we can use the word faithful and say, is that full of faith? Mm. And I know a lot of people who are full of faith, but I think that's different than what we're really talking about here. Full of faith means to me they're fully relying on the sovereignty of God. Uh. But faithful is being true to your character. And that's your God-given, your born-again character. Yeah. And there has to be a deep consistency for one who is faithful. So I see that faithfulness goes hand in hand with another one of those definition words, which I see as integrity. Ooh, yep. Very good point. Because with integrity, there is that trustworthiness. You can trust somebody to be faithful in following through on what they said they would do and caring for that which has been entrusted to them as a good steward. So yeah, I see that as a big uh, related word to that. Integrity is a really good one. And we know because of what we see in the scriptures that God is there for us. Mm-hmm. And that's where we get this faithfulness concept because it grows out of his character. And believers who are in Christ have that same character quality. And like so many, he has to be nurtured. Mm-hmm. His attributes need to be fleshed out from within us. And that's why the fruit of the Spirit is what we see in Jesus. He is God's son, and as we emulate or as we mimic the character qualities that he has, that's what we do as well. And so we want to build on his faithfulness and see that as part of our integrity, as part of our character, as we live out his faithfulness in our own lives. Oh, man, that's good. I like that a lot, and that's so true. I was studying just this morning, getting ready to dive into the next two verses. So far, I've only made it through about two verses each week in the book of Mark, as we've been making our way through the book of Mark, because it keeps pointing to the lives of these great apostles that Jesus is calling along the way. We saw Andrew and Peter last week, and this week we're going to look at James and John. And they had a nickname, and for good reason. They were called Sons of Thunder. And it wasn't just because their father was thunderous. I think that the acorn didn't fall far from the tree. And so I think they picked up on... Zebedee's thunderous character quality. But we also see in Scripture, and this is what I'm going to point out Sunday, that there was a character arc in both of their lives. So even though they were thunderous, and even though at one point when they got rebuffed by some people in Samaritan territories, kind of like when you said Mark had moved up here to be in the Columbus, Ohio area, for us, that's like in Jerusalem saying a Samaritan. Yeah. (laughs) But only if you're a real football fanatic, because there's that rivalry that goes on there. We actually have a guy from Columbus in our church, and he's one of the strongest, most faithful guys I know. So I know that some good can come out of Columbus. <laughs> yeah, well, he probably has to be because of where he is. Right. But <laughs> anyway, the, the James and John, who became part of this inner circle with Peter, James, and John, they were the, the inner circle three. They got to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus and all that stuff. But we see how God used that fiery temperament in each of those three guys and yet transformed it so that they became some of the most faithful, committed, loving individuals in Scripture. John, who lived longer than all the rest of the apostles, was exiled onto the Isle of Patmos. So he wrote for us Revelation. 
And he wrote letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And we see all the times he talked about love. So clearly faithfulness became ingrained in them, but it was a lengthy process of walking with the Lord before it started to flesh itself out as the fruit of the Spirit in those three guys' lives. Yeah, and faithfulness is, is something we see all through Scripture. And it's one way that God demonstrates how faithful he is in that he does what he said he would do, yeah. even if it seemed impossible. And I immediately started thinking about some Old Testament stories, some of which we talked about in length. Uh, one of them that I saw was David and Saul. Oh, yeah. David's been anointed the next king while Saul is still on the throne. And there's a great deal of contention. And we see for chapter after chapter in uh, those early Old Testament history books that uh, this was not an easy situation for David. Saul kind of went off the deep end and um, was seeking to, king, to kill the next king, even though he had been anointed, which means he was going to take the throne. Um, it was a difficult time. Yeah, no kidding. And David, who showed his faithfulness and loyalty to God, even had the opportunity to kill Saul at one time because they were in the cave together. Saul didn't know David was there. David was close enough to actually take a knife and cut off a little piece of the tassel from his garment, tassel or material or something, we're not sure. So he could have used that knife to kill Saul. And somebody said, why didn't you do it? <laughs> That's what I would have been thinking. Why didn't you do that when you had the chance? He was trying to kill you, so you might as well have struck first and eliminated the threat. He said, no, I'm not going to kill God's anointed. So even though the king was going off his rocker and was trying to kill him, he refused to kill God's anointed because he was still the anointed king at that time. That shows some character quality on David's part. So you're right. When right. God he says was, he's going to do something, it's crazy, and he'll do it. I mean, even earlier in David's life, we look at another impossible situation. It's David and Goliath. You know, that was an impossible situation, and yeah. the Jewish army was just quaking in their boots for days on end, and David finally shows up and goes, I'll take care of this. Mm -hmm. And everybody on the plane watching this fight develop was thinking, this is not going to end well. This little kid is going to get slaughtered, and we are going to be in real trouble. Right. And yet, God was faithful to the Jewish army and the Jewish people at that point by taking care of the situation with a rock. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, incredible. Yeah, When God says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. Another one we looked at before was the burning wet wood. Now, that's an impossible situation, as we outlined in great detail. Yeah. When you flood the area where the wood is, uh, to make your point, that's an impossible situation. And yet, mm -hmm. the, the God who rules the universe said, this is nothing for me. Right. I'm going to show that I can handle this in the blink of an eye as opposed to waiting all day for, for Baal to show up, the prophet of God was able to say, see, he's there. Yours <laughs> is not. <laughs> right. That's so good. That's so true. One of the big ones where we look at faithfulness, as I saw, was Abraham and Isaac mm -hmm. going up, build an altar that sacrificed Isaac, who was supposedly going to be the father of thousands and millions, and yet God told Abraham to sacrifice him. Mm -hmm. And when push came to shove, he said, no, I see that you are being faithful to what I called you to do. Uh -huh. I'm going to provide another answer. And there was a ram stuck in the bush. 
Yeah, very cool. And just getting through the Advent season a few uh, weeks ago now, because it's still January when we're doing this, I noticed that it seemed an impossible situation when Israel was getting just tromped on by their enemies. And there was the Babylonian exile and a bunch of the Jewish young men who were the brightest and best got exiled along there, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There were some impossible situations that God took care of there, including the fiery furnace incident and Daniel and the lion's den. But we also see that Daniel was put in charge of the Magi. He was the chief master of the Magi back then. And that was something that was going to be passed on generationally. And so all the way into the New Testament, we see that the Magi came to visit that baby king. That would have been descendants of those Magi, and they were the ones who knew about that star. So God had already set into motion things that seemed very impossible when things were bleak in Israel back then, and Jerusalem got sacked, and yet God still was working his plan. And he did so in such a way that as we look back on it, we can say, oh, he had that. <laughs> he had it in the bag. <laughs> Yeah, no big deal, but it was a big deal because at that point they were in exile for 70 years mm-hmm. and not too much later uh, the nation of Israel was essentially destroyed and not yeah. back in place until the middle of the last century. That's right. Which sets into motion so many things that we see in the end times. So, yeah, no kidding. All of that could have been a point of doubt of mm-hmm. wondering whether God was still in charge. But mm-hmm. he had the plan in place. I mean, some awful, awful, terrible things had to happen for the nation of Israel to be replanted in that same location. Mm-hmm. But as a result, the workings of God are, are still moving forward. And we can yeah. now look forward in confidence to everything else he says about what happens after that. Right, because it's his character. I mean, he's always been faithful. I love some of the songs about faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Sarah Grove sings one. He's always been faithful to me. And it's just so true because that's God's character. If God had not been faithful even once, then we'd have no reason to trust him. But because he is faithful completely and always, we can absolutely trust him to fulfill all of his promises because they always come true. If he says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. Well, and that's pretty good news because that's still true for us. Yeah. There's a bunch of places in the Bible where we see his his faithfulness and his promise of his faithfulness as well. One of them is in First Kings, and it says, Not one word has failed of all the good promises he gave. Yeah. And he gave a lot of promises. He did. He did, in fact. And not one word of those promises has ever failed. That's true. As it says in First Kings 8.56. We know that God is absolutely, eternally reliable, completely steadfast, unwavering in his love. Faithfulness is just an essential part of who God is, says the psalmist. Uh, Psalm 89.8, which says, you, meaning God, are entirely faithful. And that would have to mean then both the Son and the Holy Spirit are entirely faithful as well, because as part of the Trinity, each of them is as faithful as the Father. Right. And we see in, in Hebrews 13, it says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and forever. He's not going to change. He's always going to be the same. And part of that is his faithfulness. Yeah. And you've mentioned several times that God can see around corners. He knows what's coming in our lives. 
And if we could know how often he has been faithful to us, even though we might not have been aware of it at the time, we would be shocked because of his faithfulness that way. He's always demonstrating his love toward us, even when we're not looking for it. Yeah, and one of the most important parts of that faithfulness is when he forgives us our sins. Oh, yeah. And we see in a variety of places, particularly in the writings of John, uh, in First uh, John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I mean, that is a powerful demonstration of his faithfulness. I mean, he put the plan in place so that Christ would go to the cross and shed his blood to cover our sins, and when we confess them, they're forgiven. Not yeah. just for now, not just till we sin again, but forever. We are cleansed from all unrighteousness. And that's a good word, man. That's so encouraging. Saul, who became Paul, same guy, had that unusual conversion experience. And he later wrote about the fact that he considered himself the least worthy to be a recipient of that forgiveness because he had been against God's people in a big way before his conversion. And yet he knew that God was so faithful and consistent in his forgiveness that there's never a time when he's going to say, no, Paul, you sinned too much this time. So this is the one time when I'm not going to be able to forgive you. Saul knew that. He says, no, that will never happen. I mean, if he can forgive me, he can forgive anybody because God will never say, oh, I finally met my match. This one sinned way over the top and I can't forgive it. That'll never happen. And yet we see people that in, in our sphere uh, of influence that will say, oh, I've done too much that was bad. Mm-hmm. And that's just a lie out of the pit of hell. Right. You know, that's Satan saying, no, you've done too much. God's word doesn't mean what it is in your case because you are just too terrible. Um, he's the one who's not going to be forgiven. And he wants yeah. to take down as many as we, he can. And that's why we're on the other side preaching that gospel that says, you can be forgiven. All you have to do is confess it and acknowledge it. And he will do the rest. He mm-hmm. already did. Yeah, that's so true. I think that there's some good psychology involved in good theology. I think that good psychology grows out of good theology and not the other way around. <laughs> because anything that's working psychologically is working because it's part of God's truth. That's my take on how theology is the worldview which helps us become psychologically healthy. And one of the things that psychologists will tell us to do if we're in a funk, if we're starting to experience some depression, is take ourselves out of being inward focused. Start focusing outward and start focusing on that which you can be thankful for rather than focusing on what you don't have or what you're missing. And that faithfulness of God, which is new every morning, that's so easy to do if you start looking around. After two years of the pandemic, we started having some realizations that we have an awful lot of good things that God has brought about, even despite or, or even because of the pandemic. Our church had a very brief business meeting last Sunday as we adopted the new support budget. And God has been so faithful in supporting our church. And through faithful givers, we actually ended in the black this last year. That's unheard of. And so we had something to be thankful for. We look up and the sun is coming up every morning. That's something to be thankful for. I mean, there's so many things that we started just making a list of all the reasons that we can be thankful because God has been faithful through this last two years. And I thought, you know, he never gives up. He just never gives up on us and he never gives up on showing his love to us. 
And because of his faithfulness, suddenly it starts to transform my attitude and I pull myself, I don't pull myself out of it. He pulls me out of my depression, my funk, and he reminds me, I've got this and I'm still just as faithful today as I was two years ago. So you can trust me on this one. Keep going. Keep serving me. I got this. Yeah, in, in Philippians, it's addressed when Paul writes, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And that's true in a person's life, and it's true in the life of a church. Yeah. You know, we're called to a good work. He began it. He's going to finish it. All we have to do is emulate his faithfulness and work through it with him, and he's going to take care of it. He will. We were reminded that God never gives up on his promise to finish that work that he began. And we're seeing that true in our collective local body. And it's a tiny little congregation. But man, we're seeing huge examples of God's faithfulness there. But it also happens on the individual level, for sure. And 1 Corinthians says that. Paul, writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1.9, he says, God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So even that is a recognition that God is the one who initiates that call in the beginning. So we can't claim any of the credit for his faithfulness. He initiates it. He does the work of salvation. He's faithful to complete the work which he began. It's all about him. And the other thing he tells us is this is not temporary. Uh, he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Oh yeah. And look at that and say, this is what happens when we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, we saw that the Spirit would come and go. We see it says, and the Spirit was on him. That was a temporary thing. Even with the prophets, we saw that. There were times when they were were in the Spirit and able to speak, and other times when they weren't. But today, the believers have the Spirit's presence inside from that very moment that they receive Christ. So that's a big difference. He's not going to. Leave us on our own. He is always going to be there. The Spirit is always going to indwell us, even if we're doing things that are grieving Him. Mm-hmm. We're still going to be the center of His attention because the Spirit dwells within us. And that's a pretty solid promise. It is indeed. And in fact, as I think about some of the things in Hebrews and James, we know that discipline can seem very uncomfortable at the time. And yet, sometimes when we're being disciplined, if we're going through a trial of some sort, it may be that God is really trying to get our attention because he's being faithful to complete the work he began. Israel is a great example of that. They are a collective example of what happens when God disciplines his people for their own good because of his love for us. And when we start to understand that and we start to emerge out of a season of discipline or of trial, we can say, man, he's been so faithful and so good to us, even through that, that we're stronger now than we were two years ago, and it wouldn't have happened had we not been through that trial. For that, we can even be grateful. Yeah, and sometimes that's the result of disobedience, and sometimes it's preparing for something greater to come, and yeah. sometimes it's both. Right. You know, sometimes, what, like take uh, Jonah, for example. He went the wrong way, mm-hmm. and yet God turned that around and saved Nineveh, And Jonah got a life lesson as well. So sometimes our disobedience puts us in a position where he does get our attention and prepares us for bigger works to come because he is faithful to finish that work that he started. Sure enough. I can think of a couple of young men in my life that uh, I was sort of mentoring them, and they had both uh, had been through some really tough trials. 
And some of it was caused by some of their decisions, but also some of it was caused by others who were kind of picking on them and they had some difficult uh, circumstances happening in their lives. But God used those circumstances to develop such godly character in them. And both are younger, younger men than I am, but they're old enough now to have married. They have kids. They're walking in the ways of the Lord, and they are becoming examples of faithfulness and commitment to God and to their families. And it's such a neat thing to watch that character arc because that's been over like a 12 to 15-year period of their lives. It's also possible that God in his faithfulness is reaching out right now to some of our fellow theologians and knocking on the door of their heart saying, mm-hmm. we have work to do. I want to begin this work in you. Mm-hmm. So we, we need to do something here because I am faithful to provide the remedy for the sin issue that's in your life and all you have to do is confess that. So perhaps we should create an invitation for them to take that step of faith and actually receive Christ perhaps for the first time or some of them may need to do that little R repentance and say, yeah, there's some things in my life that aren't right and I need to take care of that. Yeah. Why don't I put that in the form of a prayer because I like doing that because it kind of gets us in the mode of just conversing with God. Some of the favorite prayers that I've ever heard were from people who are not professional prayers. <laughs> uh, I remember Bob the biker in one of our small group Bible studies, and he said, I'm, I'm not prayed. I don't know how to do this. And I said, can you have a conversation with somebody that you know? And he goes, yeah. And I said, that's all you're doing. And I love to listen to him pray because you're just talking to God. And he goes, well, here I am again, God. <laughs> and it was from the heart. It was so normal and natural. So I'll attempt to say a kind of a prayer that would express what you've just talked about in case somebody's ready to sort of take that step and invite this faithful God to continue that work. Or as you mentioned, some that may need to start that step and take the first step of faith. It could sound something like this. God, here we are. uh, And it's just you and me right now. And I'm talking to you as a friend because you promised that you will be that to me. And I recognize that you are faithful. And there's so much evidence from Scripture to see how faithful you have been through your children, all the way through the Old Testament, the children of Israel, even when they were wayward and they strayed so many times, but also you had a plan to bring them back. And you always have a plan to draw people back into a relationship with you if they'll just listen. And I'm listening. You've gotten my attention. I recognize now that some of the things that I've done in my life are considered sin because they're the things that would block that relationship that you want for me to have with you. And so I'm asking you to forgive that sin, to get rid of that block, get rid of the wall between you and me, and open up that conversation between you and me so that we can just continue to have that relationship. I want that relationship with the God who's loving enough that you would step into my place and die on a cross for my sake to get rid of that sin, as these guys have been talking about. So I trust you. Uh, Thank you for your forgiveness. Walk with me and show me how to walk in the way of Jesus Christ from here on out. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Then if there's that other person like you'd mentioned, Rick, that's somebody who's been walking with the Lord for a long time, but they just don't sense that closeness, same kind of prayer, but you just say, this is a recommitment, Lord. I want to eliminate some of those things that have hindered that close relationship that I know I've had, and he'll do that as well. 
it was uh, interesting when you said a professional prayer. It reminded me of a, of a um, I think it was a college group get together that we had, and we had invited the uh, minister of education to come to speak for some reason. Mm-hmm. And while we were some sort of a meal involved, and so there was going to be a prayer from it, and uh, somebody called on one of the students to pray. And when it was done, the Minister of Education said, it's so nice not to be called on prayer, even though he had a beautiful prayer of <laughs> cadence and so forth, that he had lofty concepts when he prayed. I mean, it was it was mm-hmm. a joy to listen to. But even in his case, he said, it's nice to just be part of the group and somebody else does that part of it. Because the same thing that, that you just said, you know, it's just a conversation. More often than not, those are the most effective prayers. And I think that's the kind of prayers that are most well received by the Father. Oh, yeah. No kidding. Funny story that comes to mind as you mentioned that, because I've got a friend named Ron Potter who was my mentor in a different church when I got out of seminary. And he worked professionally with a lot of CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. I mean, these guys were upper echelon leaders, and he was helping them maximize their leadership abilities. So he's a leader of leaders. And the guy that was his partner in the business that they shared together for several years, his name was Joe. And Joe, who had a degree in psychology and some other degrees that would help him become a great leader of leaders, he had a difficult time with a daughter. And the the wife came to Joe and said, this is a real crisis, Joe. Get rid of this professional psychology stuff and do something practical. (laughs) 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 And that's sort of the way I feel sometimes as a professional leader of Christian folks, that you want people to say, no, to put all that these and thous aside, now let's do something that works. And that's the kind of prayers that erupt out of us when we're needing to talk to God and it's urgent. And we don't care if it's got these or thous in it. We just need to talk to him and say, God, I really need some help now. And I think you're right. Those are the prayers that he loves to listen to from his children. Well, I think that was the point of the article that I just posted today on our, our website. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the academic side of it, and then there's the personal side of it. And yeah. everybody can have that personal side of it, and I think, think that that's what God really wants, is for us to approach Him exactly where we are. Yep. Not from the lofty position of, you know, multiple degrees and doctorates and all of these things that make us look good in the, the professional world, because that doesn't really mean anything if our heart's not right and we're not communicating with him on a daily basis in such a way that our personal theology, our personal study of God makes a difference in our own life. Yeah, you're so right. So well, what, this, what do you think of the possibilities that we might do this again next week? I think the possibilities are very high. I would give it a very high percentage rate, maybe 98, 99% chance. I'm always going to leave just a little tiny wiggle room in there this time because of some things that happen, snowstorms, COVID outbreaks, you know, that kind of stuff. But very good chance that we're going to be doing this again next week. Sounds good to me. All righty. And for you, fellow theologian, thank you so much for hanging in there with us. If you've hung in there this long, you must like us a little bit. (laughs) And that means a lot to us. And I do hope that you will avail yourselves of some of the materials that we have on our website, and that is mondayafternoontheologians.podia.com. Lots of free materials, some good articles like the one that Rick referenced. I read it, and it's great. I think you'll enjoy some of the articles. And there's some books 
there are some other things on there that you just want to explore. And we do hope that you'll come again next time and sit in with us for another discussion on the episode of Monday, Monday afternoon. afternoon Theologian.